couple of things let me mention before we read the scripture lesson. Number one, we've received a letter of invitation from our neighbors across the street, the Newton Presbyterian Church folk. Uh, this is from their pastor, David Jones. And they're hosting a community event on March the 10th, next Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock at the Wadsworth Auditorium. Two unlikely friends are going to share their journey, how they became friends, and um, have a conversation that we will be privileged to overhear and can ask some questions. Hivo Mohammed Kelly is a Muslim and a Syrian refugee who arrived in the United States as a teenager two weeks after the 9-11 attacks. And Christopher Buckley grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, has been a part of some, uh, some pretty difficult groups, the KKK and some other groups. And somehow these two have become very unlikely friends. And they will have a conversation. There are posters up around. We appreciate our neighbors across the street hosting this and inviting us. If you need more information, please, please let me know. And then secondly, um, I think most of you know and have been in prayer that our United Methodist Church General Conference was in session last weekend. They concluded on Tuesday. And the information is on the conference website, much more than I can give you at this time. But the traditional plan was reaffirmed. There are a couple of portions of that plan, or one anyway, that will be looked at by the Judicial Council, which is the equivalent of the Supreme Court in our denomination. They meet in the latter part of April. And um, then we have some district meetings and conference meetings scheduled. Our bishop has called a meeting of the senior pastors and two or three lay people from each church on March 21st. And on March 24th in the evening, there will be a tri-district meeting at the Cascade United Methodist Church in southwest Atlanta where we'll get more information. But right now, our task is to go about the business of being God's church, caring for one another, loving one another, blessing this community, blessing this world that God loves so much, God gave an only son. And praying for our church, praying for our United Methodist Church. I know in this congregation, as in every congregation, we have folks who see these issues differently. You're in my prayers. I hope I'm in your prayers. I hope we'll continue to try to be kind to one another and um, realize that God still has great things in store for us. So we'll let you know more as that unfolds. Pray for everyone. Pray for those who are hurting. And um, pray for those who were pleased with the way things came out. We're all God's children. We need to remember the greatest commandment is to love God with all we have and to love each other, to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's a huge task. But by the grace of God, we can, uh, we can cause that to happen. I'm still available to talk with any of you anytime about any of these concerns and issues going forward. I do hope you're praying every day for this church and for the larger United Methodist Church. And I hope you're in the business of going about your ministry here, making a difference. That's what God's called us to do. Our scripture lesson for this particular Sunday of the church year is from Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 28. Luke 9, beginning with verse 28. Would you stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel? (laughs) 
Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent. And in those days, no one told no one any of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Today is the last Sunday after the Epiphany, Transfiguration Sunday. And since the first Sunday in January, our theme has been going home by another road, a different road. On that Sunday, we read of Persian astrologers who went home by a different way after they'd come to see the Christ child. And on the first Sunday after Epiphany, we recall the baptism of Jesus and how he spent his time in this world on the service road, comforting and confronting and preaching and teaching and praying and foot washing. Jesus lived as a servant. On the second Sunday after the Epiphany, we extolled the virtues of the back roads. It was the back roads that took us to a little town called Cana. And in that little village of Cana, Jesus showed up at a wedding transformed the water into wine, a miracle of transformation, as all miracles are. On the third Sunday after the Epiphany, Jesus allowed his God positioning system, his GPS, to take him back, to lead him home, and his feet were guided on a road that took him to Nazareth, to the synagogue in Nazareth. And there, his hands and heart were led to a scroll that he opened up, and he began to read from the prophet Isaiah, and he began to fulfill those words with his words and his deeds. And then on the fourth Sunday after Epiphany, Jesus, still in the synagogue, still in his hometown, quit preaching he had and gone to Madeline, and he got him in trouble, said something about the grace of God being for all persons, even those who live in a different zip code than the children of Israel, folks like a widow on the Phoenician coast, and folks like Naaman, a leper who was a military commander, lived in all places of a place that's still in the news today. He was from Syria. 
Folks didn't like that. There were folks at home that needed God. And then on the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany, we talked about me take that road, the call of Isaiah. God's call on our lives, sometimes to take a road that we had not even imagined or dreamed about. But God's been thinking about it. And on the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany, we talked about inner roads, the ways of our hearts, and how those roads are important when we come to those difficult spots in our life and the brokenness that exists among God's people and the brokenness in this world. And then last Sunday, the road less traveled. You remember Jesus came to the level place in Luke's gospel, and he talked about mercy and grace, and he talked about giving and forgiving. And people who live in that way often find their feet on a road less traveled, I'm sorry to say. It's a difficult road sometimes. People have chosen other options. So it brings us up to this Sunday, the last Sunday after the Epiphany, the Transfiguration Sunday. It's been a long Epiphany season, and that's based on the fact that we've got a late Easter this year, April 21st. So we've had several Sundays to think about these things. To transfigure is to transform. It's to change the outward appearance. Not a word we use a lot anymore, but sometimes. And that's what happened to Jesus on an unnamed mountaintop where he had gone to pray. He took with him his inner circle of his innermost circle. He took with him the three guys who seemed to always be there and say and see things and hear things that the others missed out on. Peter, James, and John, or as John Maxwell calls it, Pete, Jim, and Jack. And they were there with Jesus on the mountaintop. And if that wasn't enough, two folks showed up there who had been a long time dead. Moses and Elijah, there on the mountain talking to Jesus. And there ensued a conversation, I'm sure, like none other that had ever been had. And I would love to have eavesdropped on that conversation. There's a hint here that they were talking about Jesus' upcoming departure his death and his ascension, resurrection, ascension in in Jerusalem. Pete, Jim, and Jack, all bearing a striking resemblance to the dwarf Sleepy, were able to wake up just enough to see the glory of it all. And Peter, no surprise here, said something about wanting to preserve this Polaroid moment, this Kodak moment, this digital camera moment, if you will. But as was often the case, Peter had put his mouth in motion before his brain was in gear, and he probably should not have spoken. So while he was rambling on, it came up a cloud. And the cloud overshadowed them, and a voice out of the cloud, as if they weren't nervous and afraid enough already, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. And after that, Moses and Elijah disappeared. Silence prevailed. And this tale, this whole story was filed away for a later time. Thank goodness somebody remembered. Somebody told the story. Luke included it in his gospel. In his telling, Luke wants his readers to be certain of the reason that Jesus had gone to the mountain that day. He wasn't expecting this epiphany, I don't believe. He went there to pray. He often went to the high places to pray. Now, the road that led him to the mountain, I hope, is a road that's a part of our life too. Praying as if something was going to happen. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we need 
to pray. And there's something about this incident that connects it back to Jesus' baptism and a voice, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. It seems like incredible things happened in the life of Jesus as he was praying. I hope we, we recall that, remember that. The phrase, suddenly they saw two men ties this story to the resurrection. You remember one of the resurrection accounts, the two men in the tomb, and to the ascension, the dazzling brightness of the transfigured. One will be recalled also in the book of Acts in the story of the conversion of the apostle Paul, the blinding light or flash of lightning on the Damascus road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun. So, Does all of this mean that from the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, one could see all the way over to the Garden of Resurrection? From a geographical, geological high place to a theological high place, a place of resurrection that would have been a high place even if it had happened on the floor of the Grand Canyon? What would be a good name for the road that ran from one high place to another. What if we name that road for our purposes for a little while, the glory road? No potholes, no cracks in the asphalt, smooth surface, guardrails all the way along this limited access highway. Would have been a pretty easy road to travel on, wouldn't it? Oh my though, let's hold on for a moment before we ask the legislature to rename this road. Glory road might not be appropriate. At second glance, there is an intersection that we may not have seen before. There is a crossroads that we need to be aware of, a crossroad that must be accounted for, especially if we were thinking this was going to be an easy, uninterrupted, pleasant journey, no heavy volume of traffic, no accidents, no road repairs, no troublesome interchanges. Can we see it now? And the crossroad changes everything. There's no bypass. The glory road intersects with the crossroad of pain and suffering and betrayal and denial and death. What do we do, fellow pilgrims, if we want to get from here to here? We thought it was a glory road. We thought it would be easy street. Folks have always gone looking for easy street. We still do, don't we, for the glory road. Wide and well marked. And if it was my glory road, there would be a Dunkin' Donuts at every roadside plaza. The glory road, sometimes it goes by other names. Prosperity Lane, Success Boulevard, Healthy Street, Peaceful Way, Relaxing Road, Awesome Avenue. Just believe in Jesus and he'll pave the way, we've been told. He'll fill every pothole. He'll protect us from every hazard and threat along the way. He will not allow our hearts and minds to ever consider the crossroads. Over the centuries, and still today, large ministries have been established, large churches developed by holding out the promise of the glory road. How many persons have been promised health? and wealth and happiness 
if they'll just say yes to Jesus. And how many of these folks have had their fledgling faith destroyed when life and death show up on their doorsteps? The road from the Mount of Transfiguration to the Garden of Resurrection is a glory road. But we ignore the crossroad to the detriment of our own spiritual development and to the detriment of the kingdom or the reign of God. This whole conversation brings to mind some words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book. If you've never read The Cost of Discipleship, he wrote it in 1937. It's a classic. It's not an easy, fun read. It's not a beach read. But you might want to consider it. One paragraph, he said, Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. The preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is a grace without discipleship. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which one must knock. It is costly grace because it cost one one's life. And it is grace because it gives one the only true life. I wonder if Bonhoeffer would call the glory road a toll road because of the crossroad. If so, hasn't the toll been paid at Calvary? Yes, but... But that doesn't mean we're in for a carefree Sunday afternoon drive in the country with the top down. There will be those days when we will suffer for our faith or because of our faith. And there will simply be those days when we suffer because we're humans and sooner or later. The glory road from our mountaintop experience to the celebration of resurrection will not always be smooth and safe and wide thoroughfare. The glory road street sign will sometimes be replaced or renamed with one of these following street signs, maybe Poverty Lane or Failure Boulevard or Sickness Street or Turmoil Way or Stressful Road or Defeated Attitude Avenue. Should we cancel the trip just because every aspect of the journey might not be pleasant? No, no, no. And may we always approach the crossroads with the full assurance that out of the worst thing imaginable, God can bring healing and hope to our world, to our hearts, to our church. God can help us find a way out of the brokenness, a way forward out of the pain. There's no glory road without a crossroad. To attempt to build a ministry or to strengthen a church by promising folks something that we cannot give is deceitful and cruel. Just accept Jesus. How many times have you heard that? And away go troubles down the drain. And this is the Jesus who said that if we're going to follow him, we have to take up a cross and follow him. Every day, if we tell folks that there's a glory road and there's no crossroad, then they'll end up in the ditch every time, the ditch of disappointment and despair. 
Let's go back to the mountaintop now for, for just a moment. The three disciples who were there, which Jesus wanted to build booths or dwelling places. Some translations of scripture will say they were going to build a tabernacle or three little tabernacles and stay where they were. But they could not stay. They could not live always in the radiance of the moment. Discipleship involves following and moving on and going on. As much as they were awed by what they had seen and what they had heard on the mountaintop, they were not yet ready to be witnesses to Jesus. They had some more following to do. There was a cross ahead and there was a resurrection and there was a coming of the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness is not achieved by freezing one moment in time, but by following on in confidence that God is leading and God is going ahead and that the greatest yet in our hearts, in our spiritual journey, the greatest yet is still to be experienced. So what about the quest for visions and resurrection in our time? People still have that desire, don't they? The transfiguration emphasizes that God has been revealed through Jesus the Christ. That the essence of Jesus' identity and work cannot be understood apart from the cross and apart from resurrection. Only in their light do we ever understand the character of God, the significance of Jesus. At best, dreams and epiphanies can give new meaning to our experience, making the goal clear in the midst of the journey. But they also put us back in the midst of the task and the struggle and the ministries to which we had been called. When they came down from the mountain, we read that part of the story. There was a father there whose son was having seizures and the disciples didn't know what to do after what they had just seen. There is still faith to be developed. There is still a road to be traveled. The view from the mountaintop may be majestic, but the road, the glory road, beckons us, calls us on. We cannot stay put. We cannot stay in the moment of those experiences. There's so much left to do. Our Lenten series begins this week on Ash Wednesday. It's called Gifts of the Dark Wood. The dark wood is another way of saying the crossroads. Don't be afraid. God has some great gifts in store for us and places where we might least expect to find them. Amen.